As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. We are back. A brand new edition of 755 is Real Producer Cam here with you. David, Eric, and myself wave goodbye to the first half of the season. As you look ahead to the second half, the Braves, their first series after the All-Star break is against the Chicago White Sox, and the guys get you primed for that series. The duo talk about tonight's pitching matchup being Friday. This live room was recorded at about noon Eastern, Friday afternoon. The guys tackled some questions not only about the Chicago White Sox, but about this Braves team and the first half, including what was the biggest difference or what is the biggest difference between this year's team and that 2021 World Series club at the end of the first half. If you guys recall, that 2021 team was a game under 500. They were 44-45 and heading into the second half of action. The guys also talk about, is this the best first half that they've ever seen from a team? And multiple questions today from you guys about needs at the trade deadline for Atlanta. The guys give their honest response about that. As always, we appreciate the support. If you aren't already following the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get the show, be sure to do that. When you do so, new episodes automatically go into your queue, go into your app so you don't have to search for them. It's just really convenient for you guys and it helps when you subscribe to the show. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube where we do live streams. Hopefully, we'll continue to pick those up as the second half progresses. That's at 755 is real. Hit that subscribe button. And also be sure to follow David and Eric on Twitter at DobrianATL and at EOF34 for updates when new shows release and whenever we're hosting live rooms. We love to have all of you come out and interact with us. We really appreciate the turnout today. We're hoping for more, even more, in the future. With that, I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to David and Eric for today's edition of 755 is real. All right, the Braves and the White Sox open a series tonight. Coming back from the All-Star break, we got Charlie Morton, Uncle Charlie, going against Michael Kopech, who's coming off the IL, was pitching pretty well before he went on the IL, just had a rash of uh, walks, and they diagnosed shoulder inflammation, so he went on the IL at the end of June. Charlie is 9-6 with a 3-4-3 ERA. He's going up against Kopech, who's 3-7 with a 4-0-8 ERA. Not as bad as he sounds, though. The White Sox are not very good. 
haven't helped him a lot. He's got 97 strikeouts in 86 innings, though. Here's the thing. Kopech had a 2.96 ERA in five June starts, but he gave up 16 walks in 12 and a third innings in his last three of those before he went on the IL. I guess the Angels, he walked seven and four innings. It couldn't pinpoint anything in particular, and they diagnosed shoulder inflammation. So he went on the IL. So he's coming off at the start tonight. So it'll be interesting to see what he's got, if he's, if he's got command issues resolved or anything like that. Um, Eric, I don't understand really the significant portion of, uh, of the fan base seems to, at least on social media, I know it's not really representative at some times, but don't appreciate what Charlie Morton is doing or – they see him like as a weak link in the rotation or, or something when statistically he's not that. And we obviously know he's not that uh, as, as far as a presence or anything. But in his last five stars before the break, he went 4-0 with a 2-2-8 ERA and a 6-7-4 opponent's OPS. That's solid, man. Now, I think it's just a matter of having extremely high expectations for the guy because of what he's done in the past that, you know, it gets And the salary. Yeah, and a salary, but still, I mean, it just gets easy to focus on what he's not anymore, but he's still pretty damn good. Yep. He had 34 strikeouts, 12 walks on his five starts, two homers allowed in 27 and two-thirds innings. The Braves won each of his last four. He went 4-0 in that stretch. Um, and, and you know, I, I get it. He doesn't go nearly as deep. He used to go six, seven innings every time. He's going five-plus now, but he goes five every time. Every start except one this year, he's done five or more innings. So he's reliable still, just not as deep in the games. Um, I think a lot of that perception is what what you said, but also he tends to give up. He tends to have a rough inning in the first or second inning, and then it's like I think people go, oh, here we go again. But then he never gives up a ton of runs in that inning. It's usually he gets out of it with a couple of runners on base and one run in, that kind of thing. But people have kind of soured on it by that point, it seems like, and uh, and then they don't really pay attention as he reels off two or three zeros and keeps the game, the team in the game. So, you know, I, I think uh, I think for his age and all that, the stuff is still obviously terrific. I mean, he's got the same the same elite spin rate and still throws ninety five to ninety eight. Um, and we've talked about you know what how important he's been to these guys as far as you know in a clubhouse and 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 the advice and all that. So. Um, I think you also kind of can get caught up in waiting for a guy. You know, when a guy starts aging, yeah, wait inevitable to happen. And yeah. almost talking yourself into it before it does, and then you see a couple rough starts, and you're like, okay, he's finally washed. But he's he's done this every year where there's there's been some spurts where he's kind of struggling or has a few bad starts, and then you kind of write him off, and then he, like you said, he reels off a four and zero with a two ERA, and it kind of goes unnoticed. Because there's so many other guys to get excited about in the rotation. Yeah, yeah, especially this year. Um, he, uh, let's see, he, uh, I, I, I was, I was looking at, you know, statistically, he's right there, you know, because they've had, the, they've only had the three guys that have been there all year, and they've kind of piecemealed it with the rest, shuffling in, and it's worked amazingly well. It's worked, but um, Charlie's second on the team in strikeouts. Behind the MLB leader, I mean, Strider leads by the, the majors by a wide margin. But Charlie's got 111 strikeouts in 97 innings. Strider's Look, if he was a prospect that just got called up, yeah, you know what I mean? It, it's If he was a guy that just got called up and there's a bunch of articles written about him and he was pitching the exact same way, it'd be yeah. all futurist brighties. You know, it's it's all just perspective with him. Yeah, and uh, Strider's got 166 and 104, but he's a freak. I mean, he 
he literally broke DeGrom's record for strikeouts per nine innings in the first half by like one-tenth. Yes. The all-time records. <laughs> so he's uh, – and, and Strider's got the highest K rate in the majors among any major league starter in addition to having the most strikeouts. But Charlie's got 30 more, 31 more strikeouts than Bryce Elder in nine fewer innings than Elder. I know Elder's not a strikeout pitcher. Uh, he's also allowed one less homer than Elder and the same number of striders, five. Five homers all in the first half. So that's that's the three of them is really good. Yeah. Uh, Charlie's three four three ERA, second best among the Braves who've made five or more starts. Behind Elders two nine seven and ahead of Strider's three four four. Charlie uh, Strider's you know is bloated by the two bad outings that he had. Um, and while Charlie's one point four one WHIP is quite a bit higher than Elders one two zero and Strider's one point zero nine. Thing that really stands out is runners in scoring position. Morton's whip drops to 0.93. That's the best among the Braves who've made five at least five starts. So they had Elders 095, Striders 104. All those are outstanding, those three. And that's pretty key to what the Braves are doing, why those guys have been so effective. They've all gotten out of jams repeatedly in a different way, each of them. Yeah. And you know, it's that's that's what I always feel good about with Charlie, too, is it, no situation is going to overwhelm him. And yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day about the Braves, you know, playoff rotation or who they, how, how you'd line it up and stuff. And I was like, don't, don't look past Charlie. He's done it time and time again. Yeah. He showed up in big games and, and you know, there's no situation you can throw at him that he's not ready for. He's got a 165 opponents average with runners in scoring position. That's second best among the Braves in five or more starts. I had elders 179, striders at 202. Again, all three of those are really good especially Elders and Mortons. Uh, and then with runners in scoring position and two outs, Charlie's whip falls to 083 and his opponent's average to 100. So, I mean, that's the lowest among the Braves in more than five starts. Max Fried is the only one with better. He made five starts. Yeah, and that's what you want. You, you want a, a, a rotation and a staff full of guys that get better under pressure and don't crumble. Yep. Uh, by the way, Max... The other big development, he makes his second rehab start Saturday at High A Rome against Jersey Shore. <laughs> and I got to be honest, I didn't even know there was a team called Jersey Shore. <laughs> I didn't either. Especially in High A. Can you imagine the kind of travel for High A? They used to be, you know, High A was bus rides. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know there was a Jersey Shore team. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Um, it's probably a renamed team, but... He'll probably get up around 50 pitches. He went 35 in his first start last week at, at Gwinnett. Uh, and the reason he's doing he's pitching at Rome is strictly because they're in town. If they're in town this weekend. Gwinnett's in Memphis. So rather than have, you know, Max Flat travel to Memphis to pitch for the AAA team, he'll just drive up to Rome and pitch there. So that's only like an hour and a half from here. Um, yeah, and he's Max Freed. So you're, I mean, you just want to see him physically ready. You're not worried about who he's pitching against. Right. If all goes well, Brace haven't put a timetable. At all, I, I talked to Alex again yesterday, but I would guess maybe two or three more rehab starts after that if uh, before he's activated. They'll go about fifty this time. Then if it goes well, no problems. You go up to about sixty-five, get him up to about eighty before he's activated. Yep. So theoretically, that could be two more starts after this four altogether. But yep, I'm not Max for Max. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that's where we are pitching wise. And I think once you get to Max back, man, your rotation really starts to look solid with the three we've we've talked about and then Max in there. A lot easier to piece together that fifth start starter spot, which is what they did last year. 
than it is to do what they've been doing, which is, you know, piecing together the two starts all year. So that would really help, especially since you had another bullpen injury and you're going to have to lean again on a guy like Lucas Lukey some and rotate in the bullpen. It brought up Lukey after putting Nick Anderson on that, not just on the I.O., but the 60-day I.O. with the shoulder strain. Um, that's pretty significant because he was getting a lot of pretty pretty significant innings. Uh, Nick Anderson was. Well. He pitched pretty well, too. So uh, They should get Dylan Lee back before much longer. He hasn't began a rehab assignment, but it's not going to be a long rehab assignment, obviously, because they're just building him up to pitch one inning, you know, at a time. So, and he's throwing. He just hasn't started rehab. But I, I think you could see him back by uh, by August, early August, mid-August at the latest. And that'll be huge because Dylan Lee was a big part of this bullpen before he got hurt. He's been out a while now, two months. Yeah, I've been surprised that, that there's no kind of timetable or anything like that or even expecting to get him back quick, missing that much time. But yeah, you know, the one thing that you don't have to do with relievers anymore, I don't think, is they don't do a lot of we have to see him go back to back. So that usually cuts your right. outings down by one or two in your rehab um, progress. Yeah, that's what Alex said. They don't even they don't necessarily even have to have him go back to back before they activate him. So, um, and I asked to make sure there's been no setbacks or anything, and there hasn't been. They're just being careful with him. I guess they know you know as long as they as long as they don't have to rush him, you know, maybe if they were. Uh, spinning their wheels and losing ground and, and, you know, there's a team nipping at their heels, maybe they would have rushed him back or maybe they rushed Max Fried back, but they haven't had to. They've had that luxury of being able to uh, be prudent and, and, uh, and beyond uh, the normal precaution with these guys to make sure there's no relapses and they have them down the stretch. So could have a big shot in the arm with both of those guys going down the stretch, man. I don't want to say it's like making a trade because that's a cliche, but I mean, in effect, that is that is what you get when you bring when a guy's been out as long as they have, and you bring him back at at something close to full strength. That's a huge addition. Yeah, I mean, especially when you've been do, mo- doing most of the season without him. Um, but that I think that kind of answers one of the questions I'm seeing a lot in this chat is what are the Braves' deadline needs? I think yeah. it, I think a reliever would be a good thing. It might not hurt. Yeah, I think one arm is what they'll look they'll look to add at least one arm. Uh, I don't think you need more than that, especially you're not going to give up a lot of assets when you when your minor league system is. Uh, I don't want to say it's bereft of talent because it's not. They've they've it's better. They're than, all the big leagues, <laughs> right? But all their upper level minor league talent, so much of it is in the big leagues, and that's what teams, most teams that are going to trade a really a kind of a marquee or a big ticket player. They're going to be able to get. They're going to be able to pull some top prospect in return. They're not going to have to take fringe guys most of the time for, because I mean, in this day and age with the wild card era, there's so few teams that are out of it. And yeah. even though a team might know that they're not realistically going to do a lot, you know, in the postseason, if they do make it there, it's hard to tell your fan base in July when you're only a couple of games out of a wild card spot. Hey, we're waving the white flag and we're we're aiming for the future because we know we're not that good if we get in the postseason. But by the way, could you buy season tickets for next year? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, well, and that's a part of the sell too. Is you want guys that hey, these guys can contribute within the next year or two. When you trade for guys that are in low A, yeah, you trade Otani for four low A super studs. It's like yeah, we're we're set back four years now. Not just you know this this season might be a wash, but we want to compete next year. You get those upper level guys; they could contribute next year. Yeah, man, Otani. He's if they do trade him, I still don't. I still tend to lean towards they're not going to. But if they do, I've heard a price tag for him would be 
two prospects and two major league, two high level prospects and two major league ready players. <laughs> That's the price you're going to pay for a, a rental. But yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you're if you're a team like the Yankees or whatever, and you really have needs, uh, and you have you're willing to spend the money on free agents to fill in gaps going forward, not not necessarily prospects. You don't mind trading the prospects you have. You know, he fills two needs literally for you. So, I mean, somebody all it's going to take is one team to decide. He's a difference maker for us. You know. Yeah, I mean, you you rarely ever see a team trade their three hole hitter and their ace of their staff to the same team, but that's essentially what you're getting is you know two huge deadline players. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, unlike I would say any recent season. Really, I can't. I can't think of the last time the Braves had so few needs at legitimately at the All Star. I mean, at the uh, trade deadline, there's usually been a glaring need. Even a few years ago, they had a glaring need for a couple of bullpen arms, and they went out and got three. You know, at the trade deadline, when the year they got Melanson, you know, those guys. Uh, that was that was a big one. <laughs> but they, yeah, it feels Alex, like it's one of those things where it feels like overkill, and then it it paid off. Right, but Alex also that was also when Alex said, "I never want that to happen again." So that's why he went heavy on depth at you know bullpen and and uh, positions where they typically would need to add. So uh, they've been through a lot of their depth, though they've 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 been through a lot of it this year, and they could still use they could still stand to add a pin arm. The problem is everybody's looking for at least one bullpen arm. Everybody, yeah. so that's why the price is going to be probably higher than than you should have to pay for the type of arm that you're going to get. I mean, supply and demand. I mean, there's legitimately uh, every every contending team would like to add a bullpen arm and there's not yeah, going to be that many makes available. It tough. You know, it makes it tough with so many teams in that wild card mix that there's not as many sellers. Right. You know, and if the Braves could add one, not maybe not necessarily the best arm out there, but if they could just add one reliable guy They've also got some options like when you get Max back, you're going to have some options like, who knows, like a Smith Shaver. He might be an option for one inning. You know, if uh, if you think he can hold it together for one inning and really air it out and not walk guys, that's a that's a that's a hell of an arm to bring in for an inning. Um, yeah. But you got a couple of guys like that that might be able to you might be able to consider using in the pen that you're going to have because uh, you're not going to need all of them for one rotation spot. And if you get Kyle Wright, then your whole rotation's full anyway. If you get him back at the, you know, by September. Yeah. That's like one of those good problems to have things we've talked about that, you know, they never seem, it, there's always something that comes up where you need that depth. Sure. If they didn't, it'd be pretty cool. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven U S based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, we got Cameron M. asking what was the best first half of baseball by a team that either of us has seen, and I'm going this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say they, I would say this one, um, especially considering the injuries and the fact they did it without Max Fried and Kyle Wright. I, I would say because the offense has just been—I've never seen anything like this offense. Yeah, that's I mean, what. I, that's what blows me away is is the offense. The '98 team had like uh, four had four guys that hit between thirty and forty four home runs, but then the drop off was so significant compared to this team. This team's got yeah. like you know eight guys on pace for twenty five or more, something like that. I mean, it's crazy. it's ridiculous. So yeah, the, and, and just and just the fact that you got three guys OPS and you know, nine mid nine hundreds and higher. Three of your eight guys. <laughs> that's that's crazy. That's a joke. Yeah, that's crazy. You really don't have a very, really weak spot in the lineup once Arzuna got caught fire and Eddie Rosario, you know, picked it up. Another question I see is what kind of numbers does Acuna finish with? I mean, huh, it's gonna be interesting, man. I, I would say, I would say, I legitimately think he could get. Thirty-five, seventy. You know, conservatively. Not, yeah. I think that's 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 reasonable. I should say. And there's an outside chance he could do forty, seventy, seventy-five. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is go on a two two-week run of home runs, and he's right back on pace to go. That's 40. what I've been waiting for. I feel like he hasn't yeah. gone on that home run tear yet. Yeah, but he's going to be the first in whatever club it is. He's going to be the first thirty-five, sixty, sixty-five. You know, our first 40, 60, or first 40. <laughs> He's going to be the first and the only member yeah. of that club that he gets in, I think, unless, you know, barring injury. Um, yeah, that, so. that's how you know how good you want to know how good he is. He's making his own club Yeah, that other people are going to have to join. Because he's already done things at the All-Star break. Nobody had ever done it at the All-Star break before. So, uh, yeah. Another question. Do you see Riley being moved out of the three-hole if he continues middling production? Maybe Olsen or Murphy instead. Uh, Not if the offense keeps clicking like it has. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
they wanted everybody wanted so many people wanted Olsen dropped when he was in the two hole. They drop him and he's been on fire. So why would you move him again? You know, I mean, I don't think you just keep moving the pieces around just because it seems like this guy would be better suited for that. I mean, you did that and the offense took off. So I don't think every single guy has to be at optimal performance level. You keep if you keep moving them around, I think you're going to have a detrimental effect on some guys, and and uh, so that's a heavy cost to pay f- to try to get one guy going a little better. I mean, Austin's fine. I mean, he goes through he goes through stretches where where his production's down, and then he catches fire, and that's a guy that when he catches fire, he's you know he's he's eight home runs in twelve days. Yeah, and that's I think you made a good point is that it, when the entire offense is clicking. Everybody else is comfy where they're at. So if you move him, you got to move somebody else. And I, you know, yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, I would not mess with Olsen right now because you waited for him to get going, and he really got going. And I, and I certainly, I don't want to mess with him right now. No, I wouldn't do anything to this offense the way it's going, the way it didn't finish the first half. I'm not looking to fix something that's not broken. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, that's like the, it goes back to the trade deadline needs and everything. Like, there, it's almost always there's somebody in your lineup that's kind of dragging their feet a little bit or hasn't gotten going yet or just not really a good bat overall, but maybe playing some defense. Uh-huh. You want someone to platoon with them, you know, something like that. And there's just, this is the first time I remember an offense that needs nothing but to stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, I saw some suggestions that they're going to trade Ozuna. Uh, you know, just from people on Twitter or whatever, they're going to trade Ozuna and, and or Rosario. I'm like, why would you trade Ozuna? I mean, since the beginning of May, he's been one of your better hitters, and he's your DH. And if you trade him, all of a sudden you've got to play Murphy or somebody's got a DH. And there's yeah. no, there's no, and, and again, I wouldn't mess with something that's not broken. And right now, Murphy seems to be thriving, having that little extra rest than he got a year ago when he DH'd almost every game he didn't catch at Oakland. I wouldn't mess with this guy the way he's the, the playing uh, uh, the number of games he's playing right now. I'd keep him right there. I don't think I'd try to DH him. And we looked at the numbers. I mean, the numbers don't lie. He can't. He is not a good DH. Right, Murphy's not. So unless you got somebody else in mind for DH, because Azuna is certainly thriving in that role. I mean, how many times as a GM do you get to get to this point, and it's like, are you supposed to just sit there with your fingers crossed? You know, you want to do something at the deadline, but what do you? Yeah, that's do? why I think that's why I think you add depth, and I and I think a, a backup infielder because you don't need one unless somebody gets hurt. Because Charlie Culberson has been on the team for almost two months and hasn't played an inning. Yeah, <laughs> they have literally not used a backup infielder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it'd be nice to have one down the stretch, especially if you wrap this thing up so early, and not like that you're going to give guys a bunch of rest. But even if it's just you know give guys like one day off in, in eight or 10 days, that kind of thing. It'd be nice to have a guy you could plug in there. Yeah. And he could play pretty much everywhere. So you could just go one guy and one guy a day, but yeah. We got another still have Charlie at AAA. You can, you can DFA him again. He's not, and you know, he's going to sign with, with, uh, with Gwinnett again, cause he lives at home and it's just perfect for him and all that. Nice uh, you guys think Allard has a legit shot to stick in the rotation? Not when Freak's back, no. Yeah, um, but he's but he's pitched pretty well. I mean, I tell you, um, between him and Schuster, it's kind of a toss-up right now. I mean, I, I I probably feel more confident in what Allard's doing, but I mean, 
I mean, that's that's two guys you're asking to get by and thrive throwing, you know, 88, 90. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I think, and I think uh, Bryce can obviously do it because he's got such incredible movement on his slider and sinker. Uh, but Allard is a little different. I mean, that's, that's soft toss and left, soft toss and lefty. I don't know that, that in being in the rotation is uh, something that uh, is, is, is likely to happen for him on, uh, you know, on a permanent basis. Yeah, I think for insurance, though. He does have a pretty good idea of what he's what his strengths are. You know, when yeah. you watch him pitch, he understands that he's got some good carry on his fastball. Um, that could be, you know, that's one of the changes that's helped guys is now it's okay to purposely throw fastballs up in the zone and throw yeah. your break ball off it. And I think he does a great job of that. Yeah. Certainly it's nice to depth. And and he is and he has an entirely different look than anything else that, that hitters are seeing with the breaks. Yeah, and you can see it. You know, it frustrates them. Yeah. Yeah, they're not used to that, man. There aren't many soft tossing, tossing lefties in rotations anymore. Barely any. I mean, Tom Malone, Tommy Malone's still rolling around somewhere picking up jobs, but for the most wow. part, pretty much everybody's 95 now. Got any more? Uh, thoughts on the Hunter Waldrip selection from the first round of the draft. There's not a ton in here. Um, we talked about that last week. Yeah, yeah, I... Uh, Talking to some people about that in the last couple of days, and you know uh, your buddy that was on Roddy, the pitching coach. Yeah, I'm, I forget his first name. Remember that we had on the show, pitching coach, analytic guy. Those with the Reds, Body, Body, your buddy. Oh, Kyle Bodie. Yeah, Kyle Bodie. I Kyle, Bode, I saw, uh, he, Kyle Bode said that uh, he thought that was a steal for the Braves. I mean, if you look at uh, – I, I talked to somebody that thinks he slipped to the Braves because I thought they were going to get him – they got him lower because he agreed he had let teams know that he was going to be over slot. And that wasn't the case. He just slipped to the Braves. And they ended up they ended up paying him under slot and paying the Virginia Tech guy over slot because the Virginia Tech guy was sophomore eligible, could have gone back, no problem, and then come out and draft again next year. The guy – uh, with all the brothers, it's a uh, that's a uh, professional athletes. But the guy from uh, Waldrop, from UF, previously from uh, Mississippi State, he that that split man is a nasty, nasty pitch. And all it, people think he slipped a little bit only because of the walks. And his last game, which is one of the only college games that a lot of people watch, was in the the finals, the series against LSU in the College World Series final series. He walked six, and some people think that the walks just kind of raised some eyebrows and scared some people off, and maybe he slipped a few spots to the brace because of that. But in that case, that's the kind of thing that could really benefit them for a long time because they are confident that they can uh, that he's fine, that he's going to be fine with the walks, that he's going to improve the command and cut reduce the walks. But the stuff is outstanding. The arm is great, and man, if you line up his line up his side by side. Uh, some video of him or pictures of him, and it's crazy how similar he is to Lincecum's delivery. Yeah, yeah, super similar stu- and similar stuff too. Yeah, when Lincecum started throwing that splits when he took off. Yep. I mean, he was really, really good before, but like it was like 2009 or 10, he started throwing that split or change or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And it's one of those pitches. You know, I was watching that game from the dugout in 2010 in the playoffs, and it was one of those pitches that the swings did not match up with what you were seeing from the side. The right. ball didn't look like it was doing that much, and guys were missing it by a foot. 
And that's kind of what a split does is it just comes out so much like a heater and then takes that little dive that hitters, their eyes just play tricks on them. But, you know, as far as it goes, you can't really teach plus stuff. You can teach strikes. We can simplify things. We can figure out, you know, a mindset that gets you in the zone. Talk about pitching to contact, believing in your stuff. You can clean up some mechanics. But you can't take a guy that throws 91 and teach him to throw 97. So when when guys have elite stuff, I feel a lot better about drafting them and and trying to turn them into a pitcher than vice versa because the other way you can't go. And nobody's saying he's going to win two Cy Youngs back-to-back like Lincecum did. But look at Lincecum's walks totals, too, early in his career, back when he won the Cy Youngs. I mean, he had 84 walks in 227 innings in uh, 2008, the first year he won the Cy. He also had 265 strikeouts in 227 innings uh, with a 2.62 ERA. But yeah. the walks, he walked a lot more early. He had a year, what, in 2012 when he was, when he was uh, 28 years old, he walked 90 in 186 innings, had 190 strikeouts. So, yeah. But by the end, you know, he had reduced the walk some and uh, was still striking out a ton. And, so anyway, yeah, but the but the but the the, uh, the mechanics are, are there is a real similarity there between uh, this kid and and Lincecum, and not many people look like that at all. That's a distinct funky delivery. Yeah, and that's that's a good thing to have. Uh, another question I see is uh, basically, do you see the Braves being a suitor for Otani? No, I do not. I mean, we're not going over twenty two a year. I don't see us going to sixty. <laughs> I think you know, I know everybody. Everybody just gets their hopes up, and they think that because the Braves are so established now, it's such a great organization and all that, which they are. But that doesn't mean they're going to throw the bl- blueprint completely aside and just rip up everything that's helped them get where they are, which is a organization that has a you know reasonably high payroll. They're top third now, uh, pushing for even higher than that, but they're nowhere near the teams at the very top and Otani is going to be the highest salary in baseball by wide margin. He's going to make more than some teams, you know, he like literally is. And he's going to be some teams payroll. And while, while, while you can say, um, it's one thing for like Ronald Acuna to take 17 million a year and keep him happy during his contract. When other guys on a team are making 22, because some of those other guys are going to top out at $22 million in the contracts that were signed after his. But nobody goes higher than $22, okay? But there's a big difference between Acuna, and I'm not saying Acuna's problem because he's not. He hasn't set a peep, but I'm just saying, do you really expect Ronald Acuna to just accept for the next five years or whatever it is, making $17 million a year, and you're going to bring in a guy making three times what he's making. You're going to bring in a guy making more than double what anybody else in those contracts is making. Well over double. That's not going to happen, man. He's going to be making, Otani is going to be making probably as much as any three Braves combined are making. Very close to it. Very close to it. Because he's going to be making over $50 a year. Yeah. And there's just, I mean, for me, it's a scary thing because there's just that question of when is he going to have to stop doing both? And I've been asking that for years, but at some point, 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems impossible to keep going. And then you'll be paying 50 to 60 million a year for a slugger or a ace of your staff. Yeah. And it even seems ridiculous. The guys, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, these guys making 30 to 40. Just for an ace alone, that seems ridiculous. But then you get a guy making 60 and he's doing one thing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not, and, and, and Otani needs to go out and get that money, man, because he's earned it, whatever he's going to get. But it needs to come from a team where money is no object or money, or they have, you know, like where he is huge for their bottom line, too. Uh, specifically, in a, a, a market that has a lot of Asians, and that would be San Francisco or Seattle. I mean, you heard the Seattle fans the other day. If they still had their Japanese owner, I would say they'd be such a natural, but it is still a natural because there were Asian population there is huge yeah so i mean if you could if you could realistically say what's he going to mean that to the bottom line of our franchise going forward i mean you get that guy and if you're in a city where there's a huge asian population and there's a significant one in atlanta like there is in most cities but nothing like in san francisco or seattle you know or or even la yeah so i mean you're talking about putting butts in seats in some of those places you know that already have good attendance, but in Seattle, he'd be a huge difference maker for them attendance wise. But just this, it's just not realistic for the Braves. I mean, and if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words, but that would go against everything they've talked about, not building a pitching staff through free agency, uh, not paying one guy so much when, you know, when, when everybody's prone to injuries I mean, they've done such a great job of building a stat, of building a team with these long-term contract extensions. So then you're going to justify going to get Otani, but you couldn't mi- sign Max Freed to a five-year extension, you know, for twenty to twenty-five million a year. But you're going to give Otani fifty-plus million a year. I-, I don't know, man. And it's not like he's twenty-two either. Yeah. I, anyway, it's. I don't. I don't see it happening. I mean, I, I can't see any way it happens. Yeah, I think it's just uh, people that try. People that look for reasons why it will, it could happen. I think they're just dreaming more than they are looking at it realistically. I just think that's a lot, asking a lot for a team that values chemistry and uh, and 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 spreading out their money as much as any team in baseball, if not more, to think that you could just bring in somebody making 50 plus million a year making three times what most of your guys are making and accept it expect it just to be fine everything's fine yeah yeah i mean he's making ozzy's entire deal and you know, yeah literally season. making ozzy's entire deal in one year yeah i mean he's making and he's made, he'll be making what acuna makes in three seasons he'll make in one year yeah <laughs> uh, another one i see is I know it's not close, but at what point do we consider extending Arcia if he keeps playing well? I mean, you got a two-year deal, so probably if he if he does this two years plus an option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe when it's time to pick up the option, you add a couple on. But right. I mean, that's I mean, that's the risk as a player is if you, you wind up outperforming a deal, you're just right. hanging tight and you got to keep outperforming it. You just signed him four months ago to a two-year deal plus an option. You don't sign him to another extension before the first year's up. Yeah, yeah, I would say after next season. Yeah, I mean, you got to see what's coming up in your organization, and you know, I mean, he's having a hell of a year. There's no doubt about that. But let's see him do it over a year and stay healthy and all that. 
I saw him yeah, throw another cool thing I saw with him at the home run derby. I saw him throw a ball to a buddy that was probably 50 rows up and hit him right in the chest. <laughs> He's got a great arm, man. Yeah. Great arm. All right. Is there one or two more? You want to wrap it up or what? Uh, Cameron N wants to know the biggest difference between this 20, between the 2021 World Series team and this year's club. Biggest difference. I'd say we've talked about it. Uh, the depth, the depth of the offense. Uh, the 2021 club caught fire down the stretch. Eddie Rosario was on a mission in that last couple of weeks of the regular season and then throughout the postseason, obviously. Um, but they had to add, remember, those three bats. and the, They had to add those guys down the stretch. Soler, Soler uh, Jock Peterson, and Eddie Rosario. And Eddie eventually came off the IL and got hot. But Jock Peterson and, and Soler had to get hot for that team to have, you know, anything close to what this offense has had since really day one. Um, so, and there were still, there were still some spots in that lineup that weren't as rock solid as this one was. But I would just say that the depth of this lineup is, uh, is better. You got, yeah, you, but- know, you had, you had Freddie, but you didn't have Acuna that year. You had Freddie. And then the other guys were, could go on surges and that kind of thing, but nobody was as consistent as what you're getting from, you know, several guys this year that are OPS and over 900. Yeah. It just, it, it feels like, you know, that 2021, they got hot and won a world series. Yeah. They just caught fire at exactly the right time, man. That in the last weeks of September, you know, it's really, really when they took off. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's what's so scary about the playoffs. I mean, when the 01 Mariners won 116 games and got bounced. You know, I mean, anything can happen, yeah. and it's all about how hot you go into the playoffs and how you play in the playoffs. But I've never the watched won. and felt this good about it. And the Phillies won, what, 88 last year and went to the World Series? Yep. Something like that. And the Cardinals that year, they won less than fewer than 90 games and won the World Series. That was the infield fly year. And the Marlins. Twice won the wild card and won the World Series. Yeah, it's, it's I, you know, it's tough to, I feel like it's really hard to judge a season by how you finish in the playoffs, but that's unfortunately just how it goes. You know, you can do all this work and be this amazing all year, and if you don't perform in the playoffs, it looks, it, you know, it looks like a loss of a season. But that's the reality cool of that it. Braves, it's pretty cool that the Braves have that perspective too. The guys that have won the World Series in 21 and then got bumped in the, uh, got bounced in the first round last year. Those guys know that people remember what happens in the postseason. That's why they're not getting too excited about the first half. The guys like Riley, uh, Olsen, even though he wasn't here in 21. He was he was here last year when they got bounced. Um, uh, but up and down, all those guys, Ozzy, they all talk about, yeah, we've done, you know, we had a great first half, but it doesn't mean anything. We've got to do this in the second half. We're practicing for the second half in the postseason. It's just ridiculous. You play 162 games and it basically means nothing. It just gets your foot in the door. Yep. Yep. So much just comes down to who's healthy and who's hot. Yeah. We'll see. All right. 755 is real. We are out. Thanks. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.